Hey, welcome back to Well That's Interesting. The I know each of these words, but together they don't make any sense edition. Today is episode 160, Nuclear Blasts, Pigs, an Interstellar Manhole. Let's talk about Operation Plumbob. My friends, today is huge. It's gargantuan, a fucking behemoth of a show, and it's thanks to a number of reasons. One, check it out. Yes, this is episode 160. Let's take a goddamn moment, shall we? And just cheers all around. We fucking made it to a very sexy number. Without you, your ears, your hearts, none of this would be possible. So thank you. Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. And number two. Well, reason number two is truly serendipitous. Just the other day, I had the pleasure of nerding out and the honor of watching Dr. Strangelove, or How I Learned to Stop Worrying and Love the Bomb, on the big screen. That film, I swear to God, it only gets better with age. And now that I think about it, it probably gets better with age because world events aren't getting any better with age. But anyway, the point is, the screening happened to coincide with having to find a topic for the milestone that was to be episode 160. So... Inspired, I scoured the internets for a U.S. military operation that could live up to the grandeur, the sad humor, the incredulous events of the film itself, and live up to what Roger Ebert pinpoints as Dr. Strangelove's comedic success. Quote, People trying to be funny are never as funny as people trying to be serious and failing. End quote. Ah, my friends, may I present to you Operation Plumbob, which was so large in scope. Some parts were a success, it's true, but some parts, not so much. And many parts, many parts were just unbelievable. Now, hold on, I know what you're thinking. <laughs> I know exactly what you've been thinking about. It's SpongeBob. Okay, yes, <laughs> valid, it's true. <laughs> it's very valid. Uh, it's a total fucking coincidence that their names are just a few letters different. So let's talk about the name before diving face first into one of the largest US nuclear projects ever. Oh, and by the way, speaking of names, I'm Jill Chacha. And if this is your first time listening, damn, you started with a banger. Welcome to the flock, my stupendous business goose. Let's start off by confirming that SpongeBob is completely innocent. And his name has nothing to do with Plumbob. SpongeBob was created and designed by Steven Hillenberg, who is an artist and marine science educator. SpongeBob's name is actually a rearrangement of Bob the Sponge, host of Hillenberg's unpublished educational book. Now, what the fuck is a Plumbob? <laughs> Sounds made up, right? Yeah. Okay. So I gave it a Google and holy hell, this thing is real. It's archaic and its design actually makes complete sense as the inspiration for this project's name. Okay, here we go. Imagine, if you will, a string. Just stick with me here. Imagine a string hanging vertically. Okay. Thank you. And at the very end of the string or the rope is a weight and it's made of some kind of metal. Okay, do you see it? Fabulous. Now, this weight is rectangular in shape, and it actually comes to a point. Voila, that's it. 
There you have it, my friends, a plumb bob, or a plumb bob level. This simple but ingenious tool has been used since the time of ancient Egypt, all to ensure that constructions are plumb, aka that lines are vertical and straight, which is super important when building things like pyramids and shit. Now, in terms of Operation Plumbob, how could I put this? I'm sure most of us have seen the movie Oppenheimer. Okay, if you haven't, don't worry, just give the trailer a watch and you will see how, once upon a time, the US used to drop hydrogen bombs. There's a tall wooden tower from which hangs a cable, and at the end of the cable is attached, you guessed it, a bomb. So, I think you could kind of see the resemblance there. My friends, Operation Plumbob. A series of nuclear drops and tests were conducted between May 28th and October 7th, 1957 at the simply named Nevada Test Site. It's a 3,500 square kilometer plot of desert and mountainous terrain that today looks... It's in bad shape. It looks like Swiss fucking cheese. That's a nice way of putting it. Um, I'm not kidding. Head on over to our social media stuffs and take a look for yourself at the Nevada test site. Tap on today's post, swipe through, and you know what? I'm going to do that myself, actually. Yeah. Oh, God. Um, <laughs> no matter how many times I look at this photo, I'm like, that's not Earth. That's got to be the moon. There's just so many craters in this one image. There's holes as far as the eye can see, all the way to the horizon. Uh, where, by the way, you'd find the city of Las Vegas. It's only 65 miles from this test site. Yeah, fun, I know. Uh, and it turns out 29 of those holes were made during the months of May through October in 1957 during what was called Operation Plumbob. About 10 of those 29 holes were made from bombs dropped from Babylonian towers that broke height records. But I just realized I'm getting ahead of myself here. I think I'm, I think I'm talking too much. So how about you and me get acquainted with Plumbob by hearing from the mouth of the government itself? That's right. My surprised business goose, every square inch of this project was recorded and then it was spliced into a 23-minute film reel for our eventual consumption. I know. The U.S. has an incredible knack of balancing its top secrets and just leaking out just enough for PR purposes. I mean, you can't be too hush-hush, otherwise you're not impressive or intimidating enough, which is, by the way, something we learned from Dr. Strangelove. It's such a great ending. Okay, uh, now I'm not gonna play all 23 minutes. I'm only gonna play about three. But if you'd like to watch along, which I highly, 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 in parentheses, highly suggest, uh, fire up the old tube of you and search Operation Plumbob and select the video uploaded by the official channel of the Department of Defense. Yes, of course they have one. Of course they do. It's D-O-D-D-T-R-A. Now, the sound quality uh, is from 1957, so I'm gonna turn this way the fuck up, and I'll probably need you to lean all the way in. But here it goes, an introduction to Operation Plumbob. Nevada test site 1957, Operation Plumbob, 
the sixth in a series of continental tests conducted by the Atomic Energy Commission to further our weapons development program. In terms of numbers of test devices detonated, this was the largest series ever attempted in Nevada. Some 30 shots were fired during the period of early April through early October. While the main objective of the series was to test laboratory design of weapons, the Atomic Energy Commission and other agencies of the government once again participated in the detonations to amplify their understanding of effects. The Armed Forces Special Weapons Project participated in most of the 30 detonations with special concentration on three shots. The Civil Effects Test Group conducted its most ambitious test program to date to provide more detailed civil effects information to the public. Participating aircraft of all types homed into Indian Springs Air Force Base to perform their test missions. And the Desert Rock Encampment was again reactivated in full force, giving thousands of military personnel of all services, including foreign troops, an opportunity to observe and perform certain assigned military duties in the proximity of a nuclear burst. Other observers on Plum Bob were the nation's newsmen, permitted by the AEC to view and photograph unclassified activities related to nine detonations. Also at Plum Bob were representatives of a majority of the free world, observers from the NATO countries, the Near East, Far Pacific, and South America, invited by the United States government to observe the power unleashed by atomic force and our methods for coping with it. In executing the primary mission of test-firing new devices, a number of operational advancements were made on Plumbob in new techniques for firing the test devices to minimize the fallout hazard. For it is well understood that if the fireball touches the ground or is sufficiently close to suck up earth dust or debris into the fireball, radioactive fission products will adhere to these materials and fall more rapidly as increased local fallout. Vaporized metal from tower bursts adds measurably to this local contamination. The airdrop technique, coupled with the airburst weapon used on previous operations, minimizes this problem, but radically reduces the amount of diagnostic data which may be obtained from the tests. Therefore, on Plumbob, three basic methods were tried. Number one, higher towers for given yields. Number two, balloon-suspended devices, and three, underground detonation. Uh, there you have it, my friends. Uh, just a smidgen of Operation Plumbob, which, just as the disembodied voice said, was the largest, longest, and perhaps the most controversial test series in the history of the Nevada test site. Let's get into it just a little deeper. Uh, now, 29 bombs were detonated, uh, each, let's say, in a creative manner, all in hopes to gather as much data as possible, all while simultaneously attempting to limit the reach of fallout. That is super important. Put a pen in that. Now, to maintain the seriousness of such coals, each of these detonations, or shots, as the government prefers to call them, each of these shots was adorably named. Okay, now before we get into the list of exquisite titles, uh, I will, I promise. I need to drop some number bombs on you so you can get a feel of the scope of this operation. Now, as the PR film noted, 
Scientists wanted to avoid using aircrafts to explode bombs because so much information was lost from those heights. So to find a happy medium, they built towers. Really, really tall towers. <laughs> At an elevation of about 4,200 feet, already that high, the U.S. slapped on several structures about 500 feet taller, or about 150 meters. That sounds a little wacky. Um, it is. To help put this into perspective, imagine a small mountain. <laughs> and at the top of that mountain, imagine planting a 50-story building, or something half the size of the Eiffel Tower. These structures made history as they were the tallest tower tests to date in the U.S. nuclear testing program. Additionally, about 43 civilian and military structures were built from the ground up, all for the purposes of fucking around and finding out what happens to them. Also, additionally, 18,000 soldiers. Yes, you heard me, 18,000 people, which is similar in population of many U.S. cities. 18,000 combined members of the U.S. Air Force, Army, Navy, and Marines participated in exercises, not to be mistaken with sequels from the Fast and Furious franchise, because they were called Desert Rock 7 and Desert Rock 8. Also, side note, could you imagine if another country just moving around 18,000 soldiers for shits and giggles, like, we would not, we would feel uncomfortable. But anyway, I digress. So what was the point of Desert Rock 7 and Desert Rock 8? Don't worry, I've got you. Quote, the military was interested in knowing how the average foot soldier would stand up physically and psychologically to the rigors of the tactical nuclear battlefield. End quote. From the wiki. Yeah, I inhaled deeply there. Um, what do you think would happen? Now, when I read that, I was like, when the average human being sees a mushroom cloud in person, I don't think their mental health is going to be at optimal peak. Um, in any case, yes, their psychology was air quotes measured, and how it was measured and what was considered okay will make you laugh out loud. I promise I will get into those details shortly. But we need to talk about something else first. We need to talk about, you guessed it, hot air balloons. Um, <laughs> this was the second way they dropped bombs. Oh, shots. Sorry. You have to be specific when it comes to terminology. Hot air balloons. So along with towering towers... Hot air balloons, the definition of practicality, were implemented and set sail. One bomb, uh, one shot, <laughs> one shot was called Priscilla. See, I told you the names were going to be fucking amazing. Priscilla was a 37 kiloton shot let loose from a hot air balloon 700 feet above an area called Frenchman Flat. And I did not make any of that up. Uh, she was let loose at 6.30 in the morning on June 24th, 1957. This was the equivalent of 37,000 tons of TNT, good morning, and grab your shoes. From the Defense Threat Reduction Agency's official fact sheet, which I swear is a real agency and a real fact sheet, uh, the Defense Threat Reduction Agency, <laughs> Defense Threat Reduction Agency, uh, anyway, you could read this fact sheet for yourself at dtra.mil, quote, 1,700 individuals were involved in the Troop Observer Indoctrination Program, 
The closest troops witnessed the, de the detonation from trenches 3,500 meters southwest of Ground Zero. After the detonation, troops toured the extensive equipment display area located directly south of Ground Zero. At the time of the first survey, residual radiation greater than 1R per hour was confined to a circular area within 550 meters of Ground Zero. Troops were able to view equipment up to 5R per hour, uh, about 500 meters from Ground Zero. The primary objective of Priscilla was to correlate the yield and the characteristics of the device with its effects on military equipment, material, structures, and ordnance. 300 personnel conducted 34 scientific projects, making this shot one of the largest military effects tests ever conducted at the Nevada site. End quote. That was a lot. That was a lot. Just breathe in. My friends, 1,700 people, someone's grandparents at this point in time, they just straight up watched a nuclear bomb go off, waited a few minutes, and then walked over within 500 meters of its ground zero. <laughs> now, if this sounds mind-boggling to you, or even shocking, hold on to your cheeks. We need to talk about some of those um, 34 scientific projects. Okay, you ready? I'd like you to pick a number from zero to, I don't know, 2,000. Go ahead, trust me. Or don't, that's okay too. <laughs> zero to 2,000, okay? Do you have a number? Okay, great. Compare it to the following, and I want you to feel all the feels, okay? Quote, almost 1,200 pigs were subjected to biomedical experiments and blast effects studies during Operation Plumbob, end quote, from the wiki. I shouldn't have told you to trust me. I'm sorry. I should have warned you about that first. <laughs> but yes, pigs, so very similar to us in weight, organs, and delicate skin, were used as subjects. And if you don't want to hear about this, I understand, just fast forward about 20 seconds. But this is what happened, and I think it should be reported. Continuing from the, quick, from the wiki, quote, On shot Priscilla, 719 pigs were used in various experiments on French, Frenchman Flat. Some pigs were placed in elevated cages and provided with suits made of different materials to test which materials provided the best protection from the thermal radiation. As shown and reported in the PBS documentary Dark Circle, the pigs survived, but with third-degree burns to 80% of their bodies. Other pigs were placed in pens behind large sheets of glass at measured distances from the hypocenter to test the effects of flying debris on living targets. End quote. Ooh, okay. Mm, that's it. That's it. Done and done. I promise. That's where the pigs come in. They were dressed in uniforms, but for totally fucked up reasons. I know it sounded cute with the uniforms, but it's not. It's, I'm sorry, it's not fun. But don't worry, people. People had multiple chances at witnessing the horrors of the bomb too. <laughs> uh, speaking of soldiers and how their mental health was scored, let's talk about shot Galileo. Galileo had a smaller yield than Priscilla. Uh, its yield was 11 to... 11 kilotons, and was detonated from a 500-foot tower at 5.40 in the morning on September 2nd, 1957. Fallout was detected as far as 9,000 feet away, northwest of Ground Zero, despite it being less than half the size of Priscilla. 
300 people who never witnessed a bomb like this detonate participated in, well, watching it happen. And then, drumroll please, quote, Immediately after watching Galileo, troops performed a rifled assembly, assembly test to test their reactions. They then proceeded to the trench area where they performed the infiltration course test. Film badge records suggest that only 110 of the 167 servicemen scheduled to participate actually took part in the troop test. End quote. From that fact sheet. Hmm. Okay. Not much was said to explain why only 110 agreed to participate after witnessing a fucking bomb like this go off. Nor was there any reason to explain why assembling a gun correctly and then running off to shoot things was the baseline for being considered just fine and dandy. (laughs) But then again, (laughs) this is America. Other notable shot names include Boltzmann, Franklin, Lassen, Wilson, Hood, Diablo, John, Kepler, Shasta, Franklin Prime, and Smokey. These two, my friends, were all above-ground tests, but the real stars of the show we didn't even mention yet. We have to get to the story. We need to talk about two tests that set the stage for all future underground tests, and what happened in one of them launched, no pun intended, an urban legend that persists to this day. An interstellar manhole is next. This is one hell of a story. I just got chill saying that line. This is what you've been waiting for. Stay tuned. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the chumba life. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void were prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Hey there, I'm Dylan Lewis, one of the hosts of Motley Fool Money. Each weekday on Motley Fool Money, we talk through the business news you need to know and the stories moving stocks on Wall Street. On weekends, we dive into the industry shaping tomorrow and host the experts, authors, and executives that understand them. Tune in for insights, a long-term perspective on investing, and of course, stock ideas, plenty of them. To quote a listener, it pays to listen. Check us out and subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. And we're back. We are so back. And my friends, as we've heard in the first half of the show... The U.S. was doing a bang-up job dropping bombs and shooting shots from towers and hot air balloons, (laughs) but (laughs) there was one very big problem. As the tests went on, fallout was detected in the atmosphere with each and every one of them. This was dragging down Operation Plumbob. Despite all the glorious boomy booms from balloons and high, sky-high elevations, the most significant objective had not yet been achieved setting off a bomb with zero effects, except for maybe a pockmark or two. So, the U.S. government's largest challenge was still ahead, but they had an idea of how to tick this box off. Instead of testing bombs over the purple majesty that is our country, can we maybe set them off underground instead? And if we can, would that prevent the spread of fallout? 
Like, can we have our delicious nuclear cake and eat it too? Unfortunately, prior to Operation Plumbob, the history of underground tests was super brief. Um, it was a big old failure, and honestly, you probably wouldn't even consider it an underground test. The one and only time the U.S. exploded a covered bomb was on November 29th, 1951. Dubbed Uncle, this shot was buried a mere 17 feet below the surface. And as you can imagine, that's nowhere near the depth needed to contain the ferocity of even the smallest hydrogen bomb. Uncle's mushroom cloud exploded 11,500 feet into the sky, and that was a bit, a smidge, embarrassing. So, to make a stellar comeback, in 1956, Dr. Robert Brown Lee from Los Alamos National Laboratory in New Mexico, he was approached by the government and was asked to examine whether proper nuclear detonations could be conducted underground. And if so, he had to be ready by 1957, when Operation Plumbob was to make its debut. My friends, clearly Dr. Bob had basically no history to build on, and from what information he had, well, it wasn't exactly ideal. Quote, Brownlee's problem was that at the time he had little information. He had, for example, very few equations describing the materials that he would be working with. Instead of an equation for the dirt around the nuclear test, he had to use the equation for aluminum since that was all he had and the ground had traces of aluminum in it. And given that he had no access to anything we would consider a, de a decent computer, he wasn't doing any more calculations than necessary. <laughs> End quote. From Esther Inglis' article of gizmodo.com, my friends, what could possibly go wrong? <laughs> Join me, will you, back at the Nevada test site. And boy, howdy, it's a hot day. It's July 26th, 1957. All eyes are on a hole, of course, which was the opening to a hollow column about three feet wide and 485 feet deep. At the bottom of this well, you'd find a 55-ton bomb named Pascal A. Say hello. With everyone in place, cameras rolling and safeties off, it was time to cap this well. A wee four-inch thick iron manhole was laid across it. Now, with what data Dr. Bob had, he predicted Pascal A would yield no more than a kilogram of energy past that manhole. Gentlemen, I think this is going to work. When the countdown hit zero, Pascal A blew, and boy, howdy, did it fucking blow. The explosion was 50,000 times more powerful than they had expected. Yeah, a rippling shockwave was felt for miles, and dramatically of all, a jet of fire climbed up that column and shot hundreds of feet into the air. The concrete cylinder, which made up the column, it was six feet thick, by the way, it was non-existent after the blast. So was the four-inch thick iron manhole. Strike a line, through Pascal A. It was not the outcome Dr. Bob and the gang were hoping for. It was time, it was time to move on to Plan B. Literally, Pascal B. A month later, on August 27th, fingers were crossed and a new borehole had been dug. A shaft, now 500 feet deep, covered by a 2,000-pound steel plate. To be honest, though, Dr. Bob had doubts this would contain the 300-ton monster below it. That's right, a 300-ton bomb. 
In fact, the consensus among all scientists was like, yo, this shit is gonna blow. <laughs> so look, listen, let's just make the best of it. Let's aim a high-speed camera at the plate and see what happens. This camera, my friends, took one frame per millisecond. And if that sounds like a lot of frames per minute, you fucking bet it is. To put this into perspective, that's 60,000 frames in one minute. Okay, put a pin in this. 60,000 frames in a minute. Uh, when the countdown hit zero, Pascal B. Blue. My friends, to this day, that 2,000-pound steel plate was never found. In fact, the only evidence of its existence after the blast is in one, I repeat, one single frame in all the footage taken by that camera. Now, my hasty business goose, if you're wondering, holy shit, that sounds like it was traveling at a ridiculous speed. You're absolutely right. Quote, when Pascal B was detonated, the blast went straight up the test shaft, launching the cap into the atmosphere at a speed of more than 66 kilometers per second, or 150,000 miles per hour. End quote from the wiki. Y'all. <laughs> I can't wrap my head around something moving that fast on Earth. That's... So I had to look up if anything human-made is comparable to that speed. And it turns out the only thing humans have created that's moving faster than this manhole is NASA's Parker Solar Probe. Again, that's NASA's Parker Solar Probe. It's a spacecraft which is orbiting the sun and is using the sun's fucking gravity to propel itself to speeds up to 300,000 kilometers per second. That is insane. 300,000 kilometers per second. Much faster than 150,000 miles per hour, but that is... 150,000 miles per hour is very, very fast. And my friends, we have to ask, what the fuck happened to this manhole? Well, you're lucky you're in the right place. There's a few theories. One is that this lid simply burned into pieces. If this is true, this would be the only meteor to vaporize on the way out of our atmosphere. Round of applause. That's pretty impressive. But, big but here. Quote, the pressure at the top of the pipe was enormous, Dr. Bob told Business Insider magazine in 2016. The first thing that you get is a flash of light coming from the device at the bottom of the empty pipe, and that flash is tremendously hot. That flash come, the flash that comes is more than a million times brighter than the sun. So for it to blow off was, if I may say so, inevitable. After I was in the business and did my own missile launches, I realized that the piece of iron didn't have time to burn all the way up in the atmosphere. End quote. Yes. In addition to those clickety-clack calculations, my galactic business goose, Dr. Bob came to the conclusion whatever was left of the manhole was traveling six times Earth's escape velocity. <laughs> Putting this all together, this leads us to theory number two. And a, it's an urban legend. This relic from the Cold War escaped Earth's gravity and entered space. Yes, a manhole, or at least part of one, may be hauling ass through the universe at around 150,000 miles per hour. And if so, it's been traveling for 66 years, which means it's well outside our solar system. 
<laughs> so, was Pascal B a success? Technically, no. But in so many other ways, I'd like to say yes. The first official, successful, and fully contained underground nuclear test, meaning that no fission products were vented into the atmosphere, was a shot called Rainier, and it took place on September 19th, 1957. This unleashed the hell, which would be hundreds of underground tests in the next decades, led by tiny men who crave power. I, for one, just want to think about that manhole and just how lucky it is have left Earth. Thank you for listening, rating, subscribing, telling your friends about Operation Plumbob, and that there's a manhole possibly hurling through space uh, because we set it off uh, underground in 1957. It's just, I mean, just saying the words is just... Uh, And big old nuclear thanks to the folks over at Airwave Media, the podcast network to which WTI belongs. If you love this show, you love the other podcasts in this family. And please, stay interesting.